Well, good morning, family. Christ loves you, and there is nothing you can do about it. If you're a guest or a curious skeptic with us this morning, we want to welcome you to Crossway. We're really glad that you're here. Guys, grab your Bibles, <clears throat> open them up. Mark 9.14. Mark 9.14 is where we're going to be camped out today. In February 1905, Chicago businessman named Paul Harris began the first ever Rotary Club. Uh, its main intention was to connect local professionals so that they could create friendships and also exchange ideas with one another. Just a few day, uh, years later, the president of the Rotary Club in Minneapolis shared a conversation with Seattle Rotary member J.E. Pinkham about the principle that his club had adopted. Service, not self. Service, not self. And it stuck. It stuck. The club became intent on treating people rightly, serving them unselfishly, and gaining the greatest profit from caring for other people. <clears throat> Guys, churches share a lot in common with other kinds of organizations like Rotary Clubs or businesses or not-for-profit uh, agencies or even families. There's a particular structure so that things are not chaotic. Uh, there is a goal that everyone is striving towards. There's a particular culture that the people hold in common that binds them together, certain cultures and customs and values. But there is something that sets a church apart from any other organization. It is thoroughly supernatural. A church's birth, its purpose for existing, its ability to accomplish its purpose, they are all supernatural in its origin. If we forget this, then we start to think and even act like other organizations that are around us, like a Rotary Club. And, and what happens is that we lose, as a church, we lose our uniqueness and we lose our usefulness to the world. The church needs to be the church. So from time to time, God needs to remind us that this thing that we call Crossway is not just a club filled with generous people who serve the needs of others and loves one another, although we do that. We are actually a supernatural organization, as embarrassing or as uncool as that might sound today. That's what we are. We are to accomplish Christ's will, Christ's way, which is why it is essential that Crossway Church become a praying church. Would you please give your attention to the reading of God's word? And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, we brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. 
So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him immediately, it convulsed the boy. He fell to the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us, help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for those, for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said unto them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Holy Father, we love you, and we thank you that you love us. We thank you for your far-reaching, long-lasting, never-ending love for us. And Lord, we thank you for the mission that you've given us, the work that you've given us to do to proclaim your name to the world. Help us do that. Help us become a praying church. Would you now speak to us through your word with your great power and change us? We're listening. Amen. Amen. In order to understand what Mark is telling us <clears throat> in this story, we need to do a little bit of groundwork first, okay? Just prior to this episode, and we'll read it in Mark 6, prior to this scene, Jesus has given all of his disciples a mission. He's tasked them with a mission. They're to go ahead of him into towns before he gets into the town, okay? They're to go ahead of him, and they're to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus then empowers these disciples with authority over evil spirits, and he charges them to preach repentance. And they have great success. It's a real successful mission. People are rescued from darkness, repent of their sins, and they enter the kingdom of heaven. And they're really excited about it. Guys, this is our mission as 
a church. We continue that kingdom proclamation mission, that kingdom proclamation work. We carry that on. We were at one time under the power not merely of sin, but also of Satan. And Jesus rescued us from his authority when we heard about his rule and his compassion. That's your story and my story if we were born again. Look what it says in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 2. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's the sin part. That's the power of sin part. Okay? Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's the Satan part. Sin and Satan. See this? The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. People who are disobeying. Okay? Or we could look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. Paul says, in their case, the case of those that are unbelievers, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. This is your story. This is my story. Satan had blinded our eyes to how wonderful God really is. But then Jesus supernaturally gave us eyes to see. We didn't come to that conclusion naturally. That wasn't just a natural process that we came to know Jesus Christ, okay? And when Jesus opened our eyes, he also recruited us into his regime. He recruited us into his mission, right? We've talked about this before, about the church, right? When Jesus saves, he also gathers. And that's what he's done with you and me, to his mission, to go out and to turn around and rescue others from the same dark powers that we ourselves were rescued from. We're continuing this work on, uh, work through us. Jesus has called us, called his rescued people, the church, to go into the world and preach the good news of the kingdom and push back darkness so that people might live in the right relationship with God and live in a right relationship with one another. Isn't that awesome? Now, let's go back to the scene we read in Mark 9. Jesus is on a mountain with three of the disciples, right? This is the Mount Transfiguration. So Jesus is not with these other groups of people. Meanwhile, there's nine other disciples that he's left alone are at the base of this mountain, and they're doing ministry. They're doing ministry work. They're trying to cast out a demon, but they don't seem to have the power to do it. And the scribes just happen to be there, and they're taking this as an opportunity of discrediting their message, discrediting their mission, because they're doing this in the name of Jesus, right? The question is, what happened to them? Why, why does Mark record this ministry failure? So what happened to them? Or maybe better yet, what is Mark trying to tell us today? I think that Mark is trying to tell us that in order to become a powerful church that pushes back darkness, or he's trying to tell us how to become a powerful church that pushes back darkness. He's telling us how that happens. So that we're not just a rotary club. See, there's something that we must recognize. There's someone that we must tie ourselves to. And then there is a connection that we need to maintain. And that's what we're going to see in this passage. First of all, 
we must recognize that we work against a supernatural evil. We work against a supernatural evil. Yes, I said the word evil. Okay? Let's go to the text here. Let's, let's, uh, verse 17, 18, and then we'll go 20. And someone from the crowd, so just picture this. There's this crowd of people. There's this chaos that's going on, and Jesus has come down the mountain. He's walking into this with three of the other disciples. I had this great mountaintop experience. And someone from the crowd answers him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. A spirit was what was making him mute. The muteness was a symptom. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. 20. And they brought the boy to him, Jesus. They brought the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. If you take time to read the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you really read how they record their stories and how they talk about Jesus closely, you will find that they actually have a lot of different categories. People like to think, well, they're just superstitious ancient people. If you read them carefully, they actually have multiple different categories for things in reality. It's really interesting. They have clearly have categories for the visible and the invisible world. The natural and the supernatural. Not every physical problem is a spirit problem to them. Okay? Sometimes it is a fever. Sometimes it is epilepsy. Sometimes it is blindness. And they make a note of that. They have those categories to think in. But sometimes there is an evil force that is at work. And we're just seeing the symptoms. So for the gospel writers, the natural and the supernatural have distinct categories. And yet there is not this thick, invisible wall that forever separates the two. They do cross over. They actually have all these different categories to work in. We, modern, western-cultured people, we're the ones that are actually limited in our categories. We're the ones that are actually a little more narrow-minded than the gospel writers. We are the ones that feel far more comfortable shoving everything into one category of reality because that's a lot more simple, that's a lot more convenient, you know? That one category of reality, the physical and scientific, and everything just goes in that category. That just makes us feel a little better, doesn't it? But see, the truth is that even Christians, even people who say, I read and believe this book, and I believe in a God who's invisible, even us as Christians, we have been more affected by secular thinking and naturalism than we would like to admit. I'm talking about you, by the way, and me. You have come in, we have come in, and we have been affected by secularism and natural think naturalism thinking as a philosophy. We need to know that. We don't like admitting that there are powerful, invisible evil forces at work in the world. You know why? It embarrasses us to say that, does it not? It's kind of embarrassing. It feels real junior varsity to say that. You know what I'm saying? And unenlightened. 
We think that that makes us look unintelligent. Why? Because we live in a secularized Western society, and it has taught us to be embarrassed about that. It has taught us that that's superstitious. So what do we do? We try to work within that framework a lot of times. We go about God's work with this kind of secularized thinking. Well, you know what? There must be a physical or formulamatic way of accomplishing God's mission. We just haven't found the formula yet. We just don't have enough of the resources yet. But there's a logical explanation, and we'll, we will do that. We'll find that out. And then we wonder why we struggle in accomplishing our mission as a church. We wonder why our efforts are ineffective. We wonder why there are still strongholds that people just can't seem to break through. We just keep coming over the same old ground. Mark wants you and I to recognize that the church is working against a supernatural evil that is more powerful than we are. We're natural, okay? These are the categories we need to think in a little bit. We're not merely working against misinformation. Well, if they just had more information, they would come to know Jesus. We're not merely working against, well, it's a bad habit. It was a really bad upbringing. So if we can dive into that, we can fix all this. We're not merely working against simply the lack of money or job opportunities or lack of education, although those are oftentimes symptoms and they do need to be ministered to and they do need to be addressed. That's not merely what we work against. The church is on a liberation mission, okay? And we are working against evil spiritual powers that have no intention whatsoever of just letting their prisoners go free. Guys, we don't like looking at evil. This probably might be making some of you a little uncomfortable. No, we don't like looking at evil. We like bugs us that that's a reality in the world, right? Jesus makes us look at evil right here so that we can recognize what it is, what it's its purpose. And what it looks like. This spirit is literally torturing this child for fun. That happened in the world, you know? That's demonic. That's not a bad upbringing. We need to have these categories, guys. Not secularized categories. This child cannot physically cry out for help. Why? The Bible says because a spirit is blocking sound from coming out of his mouth. Can you picture this? Picture this. Picture this as your child. He cannot hear words of instruction to help him. He cannot hear words of encouragement from his own dad. It'll be okay, son, just hang in there, just hang in there. He can't hear that. Why? A spirit has closed his ears physically somehow. He can't hear any of that. It's muffled. It's like in the, in the war movies when the bomb goes off and you're like, mm, can't hear it. The situation, as awful as it is, might have been bearable if the child was saved, but the text says that the dad says that the child is regularly in danger of losing his life. He can't go, he can't go near fire to warm himself because it might kill him, and he can't go near water to take a bath because it might kill him. And the disciples here have, do not have the power to cast it out. And we're going to talk about why that happens later on in the message. But here's Mark's point right here. This supernatural force is more powerful than they are by a long shot. 
by a long shot. It's not even close, okay? Brothers and sisters, in order for us to become a powerful church that pushes back darkness and says, you know what, you go back over there. In order for us to actually become a church like that, we need to recognize that we are working against supernatural forces. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not people that's our problem. It's not people that's our problem. Because we don't wrestle against flesh. There is a wrestling, but it's not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies. That's Ephesians 6. Paraphrased. Guys, I gotta tell you, it is so easy to think because we live just in this water of secularism, naturalism, scienceism. We live in this environment. It's so easy to think that if we just have enough wisdom and we have enough money and great apologetic skills and education and methods and even just like natural personality abilities, we can open people's eyes to see the goodness of God. How great it is to follow him. And that somehow we can actually develop disciples of Jesus. Because those things are absolutely necessary tools that we need to employ, but they have no power in and of themselves. They are important and necessary tools, but there's no power in them. They're channels. And we need to know that. Guys, listen, Satan doesn't tremble at the sight of a seminary degree. You understand what I'm saying? That doesn't scare him at all. Satan doesn't tremble at your Bible study notebook that's full of notes from the five Bible studies that you've been in. Satan probably knows the Bible better than you do. Satan doesn't tremble at all of our mission strategies. That doesn't scare him at all. A supernatural enemy requires us to use supernatural weapons, such as prayer. Such as prayer. If we're going to be a church that pushes back darkness, then we need to tie ourselves to someone more powerful. We have a very powerful enemy. We're natural, that's supernatural. So what do we need to do? We must tie ourselves to someone more powerful, okay? Let's look right here in the text, verse 21. And Jesus asked the Father, now this is just very interesting, this, that he asked a question. Imagine what's going on. Imagine the commotion. There's crowds of people. He's not in like an office somewhere. Jesus asked the Father, how long has, has this been happening? And he said, from childhood. And it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, <laughs> have compassion on us and help us. Help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. 
And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. Guys, Jesus is after the same thing that Satan is after. Our faith in God. Our faith in God. If he can't have you, he's going to have your faith in God and kill it. Verse 21, Jesus asks the Father a question. I thought Jesus knew everything. So why is he asking? Is this informational? What's going on here? Jesus asked the Father a question. To draw the man to faith by causing the man to verbalize just how desperate his situation is. You need to hear how bad your situation is. Jesus is drawing the father into a conversation. He's, and, and by such, he is drawing that father into a relationship with him. You see what he's doing? The father isn't sure that Jesus has the power to help his son. After all, his disciples, which represented him and his mission, couldn't do the work. They didn't have any power over the evil spirit. I mean, in the Greek, it's really clear, right? They had no power is what it literally says. This is a, there's, in the Gospels, there are truth encounters, if you notice, and, and there's also power encounters, and this is a power encounter, and they had no power, okay? The dad says this, if you can do anything, what's he saying? I doubt you can do anything. I doubt that you can do much, but I'll take any help I can get from you. I, I'm open, whatever you can give, and it's probably not going to be much. I haven't set my hopes too high. I don't think, I don't really believe that much that you can do anything, but I'll take whatever I can get from you, Jesus. Oh, teacher, I just met. Right? The dad doesn't believe that Jesus is powerful, but he does believe, here's what he does believe. He does believe Jesus is compassionate. That's the one little thing he believes about Jesus. Jesus is compassionate. So he appeals to Jesus' compassion to help hurting people. That's the, that's the ground he stands on to make this request, Right? And Jesus tells them that, uh, actually, I have the power to do anything. <laughs> but this power comes into the Father's life by crossing the bridge of faith. It is conditional. It comes by faith. Jesus says the dad must believe in him. And just remember, this conversation is happening while his child is foaming at the mouth and convulsing rigidly in the background, maybe even at their feet. That, so, he's, so he's like looking at the Jesus, and he's looking and hearing this. And you must believe in me. You must believe in me. Here's what you see, and you must believe in me. That's what Jesus is saying, right? Trust me. Trust me. And immediately the father blurts out, I, I, I believe. Help my unbelief. Isn't that a great prayer? Last week, Jehoshaphat, I mean, great prayer. A little couple lines. This is another wonderful, great prayer in the Bible. So honest. He believes in Jesus, but it is mixed with severe, near crippling doubts. It's not a pure faith, guys. It's small trust in Jesus. It's really small trust that he has in Jesus. It's frail trust. It is, it is trust that is stretched thin as a thread. 
but he is taking this thread of faith and he is tying it on to Jesus because he believes that Jesus can give him the faith that he needs. When the father says, I believe, help my unbelief. See, the son needs help, but it turns out the father needs help, right? So that's part of what this encounter is showing. When he says, I believe, help my unbelief, what is this man saying? He's saying, Jesus says, look, you must trust me, right? What's he saying? I don't trust you. I mean, confess, I admit, Jesus, I don't trust you. But I want to. I don't trust you, but I want to. I really want to. I can't, I can't believe in you. Look at this. I don't have the power. There's a lot of people who don't have power in this story. I, I, you know, he's one of them. I don't have the power to believe in you, but I believe that you can help me believe. Isn't that a great prayer? That's the prayer. You must believe in me. I don't believe in you, but I believe you can help me believe in you. I'm not even putting my confidence my confidence in my own faith, Jesus, but I believe that you can give me the faith that I need. The faith that you require, you will provide for me. And that's all I got. That's all I got. That's, that's my thin thread. I'm just reaching out. Guys, here is some really good news for this church. This is the kind of faith that Jesus accepts. Isn't that great? He finds this kind of trust, he finds this kind of faith absolutely acceptable. Faith that is mixed with severe doubts. Faith that is as thin as a thread. But faith that is aimed at Jesus. You see, true faith, saving faith, is not about quantity. It is about direction. Because doubt and faith are directional. True faith, powerful faith, saving faith. It says, I'm grabbing someone stronger than me. I admit that I'm free falling down the side of this mountain and I'm clutching this little branch on my way down. I'm just grabbing, I'm just grabbing. And I'm grabbing this little branch on the way down. I'm tying my thread onto a branch that's stronger than me. That's it, that's it. And, that, and that's Jesus. In order for our church to push back darkness, we must have this same kind of humble, honest faith, guys. A faith that admits that, that our faith is small and weak and inadequate to accomplish Christ's work. But it is aimed in the right direction. It's aimed at the right someone. We believe that Jesus actually blesses those who confess they're poor in spirit. The world says you're cursed. Jesus says, no, you're blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm glad you could admit that today. And I hope you can admit that tomorrow because you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. <laughs> Jesus finds weak, thin, shaky, doubt-filled, fear-riddled faith that would never impress anyone totally acceptable when it's aimed at him. Isn't that good news? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I don't believe in you right now, but I want to believe, and I, I believe you can help me believe. It's a great prayer. Not only must we have faith that is tied to Jesus, we must maintain a steady connection to Jesus. We must maintain a steady connection to Jesus. 28 and 29. And when he had entered the house, so he's going to take him out of the way, a little private, little discipleship training situation here. You know what I'm saying? His disciples asked him privately, by the way, this is the first time they've spoken. Guess it wasn't the child that was mute the whole time, was it? Hmm. They said, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So now we get to the question of why the disciples failed in the mission. Mark explicitly records that they were not uh, able. Okay? They had no power. They had no dunamis. Dunamis is where we get the English word dynamite. Okay? They had no power. They had faced a power, but they had no power. They ended up, ended up being mute. Earlier in Mark 6, Jesus gave them power to do their work. Mark 6, verse 7. And Jesus called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. We're here now in nine. What happened? Why did they have no power in this situation? Jesus tells us this kind can be cast out only by prayer. I don't think that's like, you know, some like hierarchy of demons or whatever. It just means this kind of evil. The word is like evil. It's part of the Lord's prayer, right? Lead us not into temptation, but delivers from evil. That's what he's talking about. You bumped up against a supernatural force, and you didn't use supernatural weapons. Okay? Jesus is turning this failure into a teachable moment. Isn't he a great teacher? For church ministry, here's what theologian R.T. France says about this scene right here. Francis, quote, the disciples' authority was always derivative. Their authority was always derivative. And prayer is an appropriate recognition of the fact that in any encounter with... uh, 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 Let me say that again. It's appropriate recognition of that fact in any encounter with supernatural evil. So when we pray, what we're saying is like, I can't do this, but you can. Just the fact of praying is an admission. France goes on to say, the disciples' problem on this understanding has been a loss of the sense of dependence on Jesus' unique excusia, or authority, which has undergirded their earlier exorcistic success. They have become blasé. They thought of themselves as now the natural experts in such cases, and they must learn that in spiritual conflict, there is no such automatic power. Let me say that again. They must learn that in spiritual conflict, there is no such automatic power. Close quote. And sometimes as Christians, we forget this as we do Christ's ministry, right? We think because his power is assured that that it means it's automatic. And those aren't the same thing. 
And they had to learn that the hard way. But see, you made a promise. Yeah, but have you called on that promise? See, those aren't the same thing. Assured does not mean automatic. The disciples erroneously thought that the authority that Jesus gave them was a permanent fixture always at their disposal. Like he just kind of handed over ownership of his supernatural gifts and power to them. They thought they no longer needed Jesus around. I mean, after all, he's up on a mountain. We're down here. He gave us that authority. Let's go, right? All they need to do is just cultivate that spiritual gift. It's their gift. It's my gift. Just cultivate that spiritual gift. Just look for opportunities to flex that a little bit, right? And they just can walk up on demons like Ghostbusters and evil's going to flee, right? That's what they thought. You know, we're here. And that's what they thought. And Jesus is waking them up about that. He's waking up some of us about that. Really, the situation is a little more like this. Christ gives his disciples power in the moment. And the gift is bestowed in the moment. And that's a very different way of looking at it, isn't it? The gift comes upon them in the moment as they request power from him. Remember what Jesus says in John 15, right? I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing, right? So abide in me. Stay connected to me. Stay connected to me. Stay connected to me. Remain in me. Don't go outside of me, right? They thought Jesus gave them batteries and he gave them an extension cord. You understand what I'm saying? A real long extension cord, but a cord doesn't Stay plugged in. Is that how you think? Jesus wants to correct this in us. The disciples receive help when they bump up against evil as they maintain connection to Christ. Get this, Jesus says it. He's very clear. Prayer is how they remain connected to the master. Prayer is the pipeline that that power and that authority and the gifts and the resources come through. The theologian John Piper calls prayer the walkie-talkie of the church for ministry. I just have to block quote him because I couldn't have said it better than this. It's a great illustration of what's going on here in our understanding of prayer. Piper says, quote, prayer is the walkie-talkie on the battlefield of the world. Prayer calls in to ask for the protection of air cover. So protect our church, right? It calls in to ask for firepower to blast open away for the tanks of the word of God to go through. It calls in the, the miracle of healing for the wounded soldier. It calls in supplies for the forces and it calls in the needed reinforcements. This is the place of prayer on the battlefield of the world. It is a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom to increase the comfort of the saints. And it malfunctions in the hands of soldiers who have gone AWOL. Close quote. Soldiers that are using this to dial up breakfast, right, and comfort. More comfort, please. More firepower, please for your name to be glorified, to break that stronghold, that the word would go into people's hearts and the evil will come take that seed and pluck it out after as soon as they hear it, right? That's, how we, that's why we gotta pray, guys. That's why we gotta be a praying church. Jesus has called his church, this church, to proclaim the good news that the king has arrived. It's la- he's landed. King has come. 
The king has arrived, and his kingdom is spreading everywhere, and that includes all the little dark places that Satan says, you can't trespass here. And Jesus says, I'm trespassing because I own all of it. I'm going there. I am going there. Let the captives be free right now. That's our mission. That's our mission, guys. And Satan is throwing every strategy he has to stop us, discourages us, or distract us from that mission. And maybe we get on another mission. Jesus has called Crossway to a task that is far bigger than our power. And we need to be good with that and own that. You know why? It's so that we'll pick up the prayer walkie-talkie and call in the firepower that we desperately need. And the general answers our cries for firepower, and he gets the glory as he answers our prayers, not us. And we say, look what the Lord has done. Only God could have restored that. And then our faith in him strengthens, and we want to ask more. (laughs) See how this is a beautiful cycle, not a vicious cycle? Christ gives us gifts and authority and resources and power that we need to face evil in the moment as we come up against it, right? He does not give us gifts apart from himself. They come with him. It's a package deal. They flow to his church through the pipeline of prayer. And it's, like, it's prayer that keeps us connected to Jesus. We keep talking to him and he keeps answering. It's a dialogical relationship that we have with this. It's not just like principles we read in a book and apply, Okay? Jesus is telling us that we need to constantly be in prayer. Yes, throughout our day, like little breath prayers, but set aside strategic time to meet with him and pray and ask him for things. If our work is going to be fruitful, we say, Jesus, our life groups have hit a wall. Don't know why. Help! Jesus, we're facing a stronghold that won't budge. Help! Jesus, we need volunteers to do X, Y, Z. Help! Jesus, our church is facing these obstacles to your mission. Send us your power. Send us your authority. And guess what? Then Jesus shows up in power for his church, and he gets the glory, and we get our faith strengthened. It's beautiful. And the kingdom comes. And the kingdom comes. This kind can be driven out only by prayer, Jesus says. You must stay dependent on me. You must abide in the vine. You're the branch. We're going to actually put Christ's words into practice soon. Isn't that wild? I mean, how how strange is that? We're going to put Christ's words into practice real soon. Crossway is holding our first strategic prayer meeting of the year. We're going to have more, but our first one of the year is going to be Friday night, February 21st. And it's going to be at Pastor John's house. He's really excited about this. Our goal is to aim all of our prayers at one big, singular um, issue facing our church. We're not going to pray for 100 things and forget what the heck we prayed about. We're going to all come together and we're going to aim all of our prayers at this one thing for our church, an issue that we're facing, and we're going to see what God does with that and how Jesus shows up for that, okay? And we want you to come. We want you to today mark it on your calendar 
Mark the date, February 21st. Come, pray with us. Let's become dependent on Christ's power together. Let's move together at the speed of prayer. Can we do that, Crossway? I love you guys. Let's pray. Mm. Jesus, thank you, thank you for your unfailing love, and we thank you for saving us and rescuing us from darkness, setting us free from lies of the devil and chains of the evil one. Lord, forgive us where we just absolutely ignore this stuff because we're embarrassed or we just have false ideas that we're gonna make too much of this. We're just gonna ignore it. And we try to do your work our way. But Lord, I also pray for those that, that right now they have lies that are chaining them down. I pray that your truth would break those lies in Jesus' name. They would see themselves as you see them in Christ. They would see you the right way. I pray that you would set captives free. And those that are set free would want to set others free. Lord, help us become more dependent on you. Help us come and gather in February to pray, to see you show up. We want to see you answer our prayers. We want to see you move in power. We need you, Jesus. We need you. And you love to answer our prayers. So thank you for what you're about to do. Make us humble. Make us ready. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.